Hi friends, welcome to Why We Care. I'm your host Tiffan and I started this podcast because I realized that most people know how to reduce their carbon footprints, but few know how to directly help protect nature and biodiversity. So together we'll explore our relationship with the natural world and learn how we can take better care of Mother Earth in our everyday lives. Happy Ocean Month! World Oceans Day was on June 8th, but we're going to be celebrating the beauty and importance of our oceans together throughout the whole month of June. For this special season of the podcast, I've partnered with community media platform Discover Earth to bring you a series of conversations around our relationship with the oceans and why we need to protect them. Once a week, I'll be speaking with scientists, changemakers and non-profit organizations to find out how we can start building a more respectful relationship with our oceans and their inhabitants. So whether you've been here since day one or just joined, thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you'll enjoy. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Isaias Hernandez, an environmental educator also known as Queer Brown Vegan, the social media platform where he helps people understand the climate crisis. Isaias is so good at explaining some of the world's most pressing issues in a super simple and engaging way. I highly recommend following him on Instagram to learn more about sustainability, research and what he calls evidence-based hope. We spoke about the link between the environmental crisis and social inequalities, how he believes the climate crisis is actually an educational crisis, and how he perceived the tension between the need for systemic change and individual action. He told me the story of how and why he went vegan and shared his perspective on ocean wildlife. We also discussed how to avoid climate domism and where to find hope, with the amazing example of the recovery of Monterey Bay, where ocean biodiversity is now thriving. Isaias is such a joy to speak with and I had a great time recording this conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it as well. If you liked the episode, make sure to follow Isaias at QueerBrownVegan on social media and send him a little message to say hi. You can also follow at Why We Care Podcast on Instagram for updates and behind-the-scenes content. Thank you so much in advance and let's dive in. Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love. Hello, Isaias. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Could you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My name is Isaias Hernandez. I am an environmental justice educator and the content creator of Queer Brown Vegan. And my goal is to provide equitable forms of environmental education using digital media, storytelling, and research. And I truly believe that um, the climate crisis is an educational crisis. So we need different forms of educators that exist within the institutions, but also outside the institutions like social media um, to help communicate and build the bridge with those that don't understand much about climate change. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thank you. And um, I'm a big fan of your work. I love, um, I've learned a lot from your, from your content. So I will include the link to um, all your channels as well for, for our listeners in the show notes if they want to check that out. And I'd love to start with veganism, which I know is something that you're really passionate about. So could you tell us more about how you became vegan? And also, given that it's Ocean Month, your perspective on our relationship with the ocean species we eat, such as fish and seafood? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So my veganism journey started back in college. It was back in 2017 or 2018, I believe I took a global food systems course around the, you know, the idea of where we get our food from. And I had this conversation piece, or it was a debate um, piece for homework. It was fighting what is better for the environment, um, GMO uh, meats or organic meat. And I felt very conflicted because as I started to do more research on that, I recognized that at the end life, both animals are slaughtered. And yes, you see with organic meat, like the animals raised with what you would say better standards of animal welfare versus industrialized animals. 
Um, and I felt like I, I couldn't really get myself to really understand, like, I know that I consume non-human animals. I know that I enjoy eating chicken, meats, sometimes fish. And I just felt like, you know, as an environmentalist, I said, well, the meat where I source, where I get my meat from or animals from is from the industrial markets. And so I started to really re-examine my own praxis and also privilege of like, you know, what am I consuming and what am I contributing to as an individual that lives in the United States and does have a choice when it comes to buying groceries. So my veganism journey began that way, but it also was complemented with a lot of environmental science courses I took around um, sustainable fisheries and forestry courses. So what many people don't recognize is that in environmental courses, they don't teach you how to save the planet. They teach you how to profit off the planet. And this natural resource class, um, it was a fisheries economics class that told us how much do you need to harvest the sea in a quote unquote sustainably managed area? And it was very sad to me because one, it already devalues ecological and indigenous communities' wisdoms um, and their relationship to the sea. But two, it kind of gives this fact that if as long as I'm able to harvest a hundred fish from this area, um, then that means I'm okay. Meanwhile, you're also hurting and killing other animals like sea turtles or what they call quote unquote bycatch, which is unnecessary species, which are very rich for ecosystems as we know, um, that's not really added in those models. And so for me, I felt so terrible to understand that the relationship and what we have from the land animals into our sea animals needs to be equalized for that end. And so I think for my my first journey was to divest away um, from consuming fish because I didn't really consume fish growing up as much. And that was a way for me to kind of understand my relationship to yes, to not consuming it, but also to review these exploitative institutions like SeaWorld or um, certain zoos that or circuses that were exploiting non-human animals. And I said, we cannot be doing these types of systems. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think that's super interesting. And I love how you're saying that. Yeah, because no matter which angle you look at it in terms of also comparing from an environmental perspective, what would be better, what would be a better solution at the end of the day, if you're eating, as you're saying, a, a non-human animal, uh, you're still killing um, someone that doesn't necessarily need to die in order for you to eat it. So yeah, I think that's a really important message. And then something else I wanted to ask, which is kind of a deep question. So sorry about that. But what's your perspective on the tension between the need for systemic change and individual action? As in, obviously, systemic change is very much needed. But then as an individual, what does that mean for you? What impact can and should you have? And also, how can you effectively push for that systemic change to happen? Yeah, I mean, I really love the ongoing discussions around the individual systemic change because a lot of people make these funny um, photos or memes, I would say, of saying, you know, um, buying a bamboo toothbrush, meanwhile, billionaires are flying on private jets is not going to save the mm. planet. And I think it, it it pokes fun at, you know, the type of messaging that we maybe see out there from brands. But I also think it really erases the a lot of work in which individuals have been interested in trying to save the planet, right? For me, I was interested as a young person in the environment because I grew in an area that was contaminated. For others, they don't have that same experience. Maybe for them, it was about going vegan. Maybe for them, it was about reducing their plastic waste. 
Um, for others, it was about growing their own food or going foraging or going to the sea and saving animals. I, I think that, you know, we don't choose our individual lifestyles like, you know, veganism or plastic free living or, um, you know, car free lifestyles or whatever free lifestyle you want to have because we want to have the status. We do it because we believe that we want to build a new culture that influences younger generations to adopt those values and to unlearn those harmful lifestyles that many of our older generations um, have practiced or have been normalized due to over-consumerism. And I think the idea with systemic change is that it really tires people and it defeats people because if I am constantly being shown news that is very fatalistic and very um, not solutions oriented, I'm more likely to divest away from saying, why am I going to be able to change the government when I can change my lifestyle? And so I, I think that it's not so much an either or, it has to be an and situation where we're saying, I'm trying my best to live sustainably and I'm also working locally. Knowing the fact that a lot of people already feel so much despair I always tell people it's easier for me to invest in local systemic change than this global systemic change, because not all of us want to be policymakers. Not all of us want to be global climate activists. Not everyone is probably going to be seeing those large systemic changes in their lifetime, but that doesn't mean that it disregards the continued resistance and the push for people that are trying to do that change. And I always tell people that we need to give each other more grace than actually interrogating about what we're doing or are we actually trying. I try to operate under the lens that everyone I know in my life is trying to at least a few things to change in their lifestyle. Whether I see it or not online or social media or in their actions, I don't know, right? But I do trust that those individuals are trying to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. And I love that. I'm going to come back to that whenever I need a little <laughs> uh, reminder, because I feel like, yeah, I often hear, you know, this uh, yeah conversation around how we need systemic change. And I think that can be a bit demotivating for you as an individual, because you feel like, you know, whatever I do is not going to be enough. Um, so mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a really good way of putting it that you just shared. And I think good reminder that those individual actions are needed as well and we kind of need both um happening at the same time right exactly and i think it's not divisive for individuals to take rest while they're advocating for certain things or mm. celebrating the little small accomplishments of you know i just learned about a new animal or i just gave up plastic in this area and it just makes me happy as an individual to say i, I did at least one thing that I, that was tangible for me so if I'm able to do that one thing, what is what else is possible that I can do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I love that. And then it's also kind of alluding to this idea that we don't need, you know, a few people doing it perfectly. We need a lot of people doing it imperfectly, whatever that means for them. And I think, uh, yeah, again, it goes back to this idea of that's how you keep going. And that's what gives you hope, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love that. <laughs> you said somewhere, I think it was on your Instagram, that plastic-free living is a privilege, which I think is such an important point to bring up. So could you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So plastic-free living goes back to the zero waste movement. And the very interesting thing I always tell people is that the zero waste definition institutionally, how it's defined back in the 2000s, late 2000s, is that it looked into creating a circular system 
that ensures that materials or corporations that pollute the planet develop a circular lifestyle. That means that whatever they're discarding in waste does not negatively discharge an environment, specifically in communities in the global south. Now, the zero waste lifestyle movement that was popularized in the 2010s was a bit hijacked because now, you know, one thing I always like to say is that zero waste is not used as much. You know what is used more? Sustainable lifestyles and imperfect environmentalism. And that goes to show that our generation right now is is does is saying no to this idea of this, you know, glass jar and all these things because it's not really true for a lot of people. Zero waste to me always was an indigenous practice that looked into the ways in which people's embodiments of what they did, whether that was producing food, um, discarding human waste, or you know, developing clothing or other textiles was used in a way that um, honored the earth, meaning that you do not take as much and you give back to the earth. And when I talk about zero um, plastic free living being a privilege, is I'm saying that the ways in which the global north lifestyles, right, our overconsumers lifestyles, advertises zero waste, almost seems like you have to be pretty rich because if you go to a lot of global south countries you know I use this very example when I went to um, Cambodia last year they use banana leaves um, for wrapping things they don't really use plastic there's a lot of sustainable practices that different countries do that don't require like thousands of dollars what what has been lost in our society today is you know ecological wealth or understanding why things were actually um, made certain ways, right? It all goes back to this idea that everything in America, in my view, needs to be out of profit, right? Paper used to be made out of hemp. That mm. was sustainable. And now it's not. It's using logs and destroying trees and, um, you know, um, ancient, ancient trees that have so much wisdom. So when I say plastic-free living is a privilege, I'm saying that when you look at a low-income family in any area that lives in poverty, their mindset isn't to, you know, um, be plastic-free as much. While they are, I would say that a lot of those lifestyles are because I grew up also poor in LA where my parents would reuse anything. I mean, they would give me clothes that my brother had. They would reuse salsa, like these jars, anything that they could do to save money but I don't think that's glamorized or honored enough because it's seen as poor. It's seen as quote unquote ghetto, right? And and to me, there's a lot of um, biases that need to be interrogated within the zero waste movement that I still think are not acknowledged. But telling someone to just be all plastic free living is, is in fact a privilege when their priority is to pay rent, to ensure their family is safe, to make sure that they're not being affected by the climate crisis or they have a job that is not the main priority for many Americans. And so when people are trying to even say that everyone can do it, it doesn't really talk about the systemic injustices that exist. I mean, similar to like, you know, veganism, I'd say it's like, there's still a lot of issues with these lifestyles that are not perfect. And that, and to me, I want to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I think that's super interesting and important to bring up. So thank you for sharing that. With that in mind, do you have any advice for our listeners who feel inspired by everything you do and also want to join the environmental movement, but then feel a bit overwhelmed or lost? Or as you were saying, there's 
so much, you know, so much you can do, but then at the same time, it, it's hard to know where to start and, and to also not feel that pressure of feeling like you have to do this or that, or if you don't do it that way, then you're not really being um, genuine about it. So do you have any um, tips on that? Yeah, I'd say um, be open to make mistakes and being gentle with yourself. I think a lot of young people, um, you know, they, they feel like, you know, they don't have time. And they're running on a very limited clock. But I also tell people that if we are operating in that lens, our bodies will start to shut down. Stress causes chronic illness. Um, lack of sleep causes lack of confidence for ourselves, And lack of disconnection to your community because you choose isolation over collectivism will lead you to further in, get drawn or inspired by doomist narratives. I think a lot of young people today are so pressured to become something. And that to me is very sad because I tell people I didn't start my career until I was 23. Yes, was I doing environmental activism since I was in, in high school? Yes, but the pressure for me to be online, to do these things, it, it wasn't there. It wasn't a priority. I didn't care about it. I just said, I'm doing my own thing while also having um, friendships. And the other thing is I tell young people is that you need to enjoy the days of your age, meaning that mm -hmm. it's not bad if you go out with your friends to go watch a movie and you didn't go to the, you know, the protest that day or you didn't go to the organizing meeting. We are so tough on young people and it really breaks my heart because every time I see a young person saying, you know, I want to do what you do, I say, you know, everything does take time. And for some reason, you know, we often put this pressure of a timeline of like, this needs to be done now. Like I'm going to be 27 in two months. And I, I could not think about doing this work when I was 21, if I had to be online. The last thing I'd say is that, you know, if you create strong networks of friendships and loved ones in your community or who you are, it, you're more likely to be sustainable or sustainably doing this work. I found that a lot of people who often put this absolute mindset on themselves and say, this is, it's either this or that, end up causing more harm to not only themselves, but to their friends. And I remember recognizing that. And when I was a young person um, in my early twenties, a lot of young activists would say, if you're not, if you're not showing up for this meeting, then don't come or you're not doing the work. And I recognized that I needed to rest my body when I was physically ill or I needed to or I needed to work in order to afford rent or afford my bills, that those people burnt out and are no longer in the climate movement. And I'm the one that's still in the environmental movement. Because I decided to put boundaries on the ways in which I had to say, yes, I am for the movement, but no, you do not get to control all of the time I have in the 24 hours. I get to decide as an individual what's going to work for my health in the long run, because once your health is gone, your mental or physical health, no one will care. They'll be like, well, on to the new work. And that's the thing where I tell young people is that you need to make sure that you don't lose yourself in the process and to continue to practice humility towards others. Because at the end of the day, we don't know who's going through things. And I, I recognize that in the environmental movement, Sometimes it can be like, you don't talk about your personal health issues or your chronic health issues or what you're going through. You know, people go through friend breakups, divorces, um, you know, breakups with their partners. Um, they go through the death of families or loved ones. And 
we don't give space for that. And I know that a lot of people are traumatized, but we need to give grace to those who are just not okay right now because they're going through their grieving stages. And I felt that was really hard for me when I was younger, that I wasn't given that grace. And I was just told that I wasn't doing enough. Meanwhile, I was battling something internally. Mm-hmm. I think that's so that's such an important reminder again and I think yeah I agree with you that it's so important to be gentle with yourself in itself because you want to take care of yourself but then also I was reading earlier um something that uh, came to mind as well when you were speaking about how you know how um, when you're on a plane they have these signs that tell you in case of an emergency you have to first put your your mask on yourself take care of yourself and then you can help others and I, f- I felt like when I was reading it I felt like that was such a good metaphor for how if you're not taking care of yourself then you're not going to be in a good position especially as you were saying on the long run to help others as well and that's so important to keep in mind right exactly and I think that's the thing where a lot of us are losing those parts of ourselves because of social media um, which is a huge issue to our health um or the lack of green spaces, the idea that a lot of people just are not, I mean, we're in a pandemic, so like people still cannot really think that well, Mm. because they're like, everything is falling on them. I mean, we're seeing the current systems right now, like housing, energy, food, we have a crisis everywhere. And to say like, you know, just be happy is slapped to the face a lot of young people, because they're like, I'm angry, and they deserve to be angry. But they also deserve to rest when they need to. Mm hmm. Yeah, thank you for for the reminder. I also love the interview you shared on, I think it was your YouTube channel and your Instagram as well with Ellen Kelsey, Mm -hmm. which I will also link in the show notes. And I I think especially the part about climatedomism and the fact that I think she said was only 3% of what we read about the environment in the media is about the solutions or mentioning kind of the solutions and the positive change happening and that the rest of it, so the remaining 97% is very... Um, negative and only focusing on yeah I guess the the bad things happening and and it has a negative uh, message and tone of voice and also I thought it was really uh, interesting to hear about the example she shared of the recovery of Monterey Bay so I wonder if you could share um, a bit more about that with our listeners yeah absolutely so we collaborated uh, with Ellen Kelsey on Queer Brown Vegan to produce an independent series it's called Teaching Climate Together And it's to basically pair um, grassroots activists, um, young people and um, older people doing intergenerational work to highlight um, some of the ways that we do storytelling. And the first episode was basically on ocean optimism and evidence-based hope. So Monterey Bay in Northern California is a very biodiverse, rich ecosystem in the sea. It generates millions of dollars Um, for the state of California, but for the global economy too. And basically what happened is that the Monterey Bay was a heavily polluted area um, back during industrialization. I mean, like chemical um, industrial waste was was polluting the planet and polluting the seas there. And that led to the ecocide, which is the death of many animal species um, in the ocean. And so with Ellen Kelsey, what she wanted to talk about is the ways in which we often don't see hope meaning that hope is sometimes really hard to conceptualize or see because our frameworks of how we're operating have already been indoctrinated or taught to think biodiversity loss, animals are dying, humans are dying, the environment is doing good. So therefore, we what we see already in the ocean is, is thinking, wow, how many whales have died? How many animals have washed up here? Um, how, many, how many people have lost their jobs here? How much industries have polluted here? 
And evidence-based hope is to kind of illustrate the fact that um, there is local solutions happening on the ground and that there is this continued momentum. And so with the sea otters, what she was saying is that sea otters um, are up in the coast in Vancouver, because if you go up Northern California, you go to Oregon, then you go to Seattle, then you go up to um, Canada, and they help take care of kelp forests that are native in those ecosystems. So when sea otters were disappearing or declining in population due to industrialization or due to um, the animals losing their habitat or due to noise pollution because, you know, boats, um, they started to actually dwindle. And so that meant that kelp forests were not doing well. What we often don't think is that animals are also tending ecosystems. It's not just humans that are tending ecosystems, it's animals. So they worked locally with the Monterey Bay Aquarium that works locally um, on those climate solutions to reintroduce um, sea otters in different populations and see what they were doing. And it was actually really happy to see that some of those populations are now increasing. And the thing is, is that that required a lot of long-term history or research, but it also involved a lot of local policy and actions to ensure that those animals would be protected or that they would actually um, benefit from those ecosystems. And um, unfortunately for a lot of the times in policy, saying, oh, if we save this animal, we save animals, right? It's not going to work for politicians. Sometimes with politicians, you can say, our ecosystems are declining. They generate millions of dollars in revenue for the state. If we're not taking care of these kelp forests, we're going to lose carbon and we're going to lose local economies. So in that way, there needs to be a framing from the ecological or capital component, unfortunately. I mean, I don't like saying it myself, but it does work. <laughs> and so it, it, does, it does take time to do that. And I think this actually showcases the power of community, but also showcases the power of collaboration. Because now, you know, in that video, people were asking, well, what about Seattle? And I'm like, you know, I don't know much about Seattle because <laughs> I didn't grow up there. But now people are trying to have those conversations. And the point of that series was to really highlight the fact that even myself, I was surprised that I could not see that. Or if someone told me that, that would make me step away and say, wow, I was thinking about the death of ecosystems here, but now you're telling me everything's alive and everything's worth fighting for. And I think a lot of people resonated with that because yeah, I mean, a lot of us don't go in the ocean. And I think a lot of people love that storytelling component of being like, you're not the only one who thinks of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful story. And yeah, again, goes to show that uh, there is hope. And it's just a question of maybe looking for it and kind of making sure that you obviously stay aware of, you know, all the things that are happening and kind of need to be addressed, but then also look at those stories of um, recovery and, and um, yeah, to get, I guess, uh, just um, stay hopeful and, and keep positive, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so finally, maybe on a more personal note, which I feel like you might have touched on a little already, but um, how do you manage to stay positive and where do you find hope? I think where have I been able to stay positive is being able to bring comedy into my life. I mean, I tell my friends sometimes that, you know, my life can sometimes be 50% suffering and 50% joy. And, <laughs> you know, as someone who travels constantly, you go to these climate conferences and you you love hearing all the inspirational people who are talking, but sometimes you just want to think like, okay, like, are we actually doing the work here? Or like, am I just traveling to inspire people while I'm so disconnected from my community? Um, I think having friends has really helped me. Um, mm -hmm. The other component 
is really reinvesting in things that I love to do. I mean, I love foraging as just an act of practicing ecological reverence. And I don't always want to record what I'm doing when foraging, but I think, you know, adopting a certain nature-based lifestyle, um, whether that's mindful meditation, mindful eating, or um, being in silence for 30 minutes or taking a walk in for 30 minutes and not talking, no phone, that has really helped me um, really become more mindful in the way I navigate the world because I constantly think that all of us are operating to produce content as quickly. We need to do this. We need to go there. We need to accomplish this project. But I have to, I had to remind myself like good things come to bloom and, you know, I'm still, I'm still a seedling or a sprout. I'd say now, like I'm still waiting to continue growing. So for individuals that really are struggling to just to keep themselves alive or just even being happy, um, surround yourself with people who do want to be around you. And if you don't have those people yet, you will find them. And I always tell people like, you know, I, I've met the most interesting people in the world traveling and they make me laugh. And I think laughter is something that cannot be taken away from any of us. So continue practicing laughing for yourself and for others, because yes, things are serious, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a minute to just disarm yourself and laugh and enjoy that presence with others. Mm -hmm. Wow, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. So um, yeah, thank you, Isaias. It was a super interesting conversation and I learned a lot. So uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you can, please don't forget to share the episode around you so we can get even more people to join the movement and follow Isaias on Instagram to keep learning. A big thank you as well to Discover Earth for partnering with Why We Care and helping raise awareness of the importance of ocean conservation. You can find me on Instagram at Why We Care Podcast if you'd like to share your thoughts. I always love to hear from you, so please feel free to message me. Thank you so much for caring and see you next week. Lots of love.